Summer is a time when people often have guests in their homes, and I want you to look at some pictures right now of some guests that are so rude that they tried to come into my home without an invitation. Right there. Now, what do you call the professional who removes these unwanted guests from your home? An exterminator. And whether you take care of your bug problem yourself or hire a professional, what is the goal of an exterminator? It's real simple. What is it? To kill bugs. Now, of course, you can't expect a bug to make a choice that will directly lead to his extermination. You have to trick them. You have to deceive the bug so the bug will voluntarily engage in behavior that leads to their demise. And there are a number of ways that we do this. In fact, I have my exterminator backpack with me this morning. I wanted to share some of these with you. Now, the first is one that I use for service. It's this Raid fly stick, and it's so sticky it wouldn't go back in the box. But, you know, the way this works, it's like fly paper, and apparently it emits some kind of aroma that attracts the insects, and when they land on the silver part, it's their final flight. They never take off again. Now, here's another one, too. In fact, I was talking to my wife, and I said, hey, do you have any of those uh, roach motels? And she said, well, no, but I've got these combat roach-killing bait trays. And I said, well, let me take those this morning because I need them. And, you know, this is um, reminiscent of the old commercial, the, the roach motel. Roaches check in, but they don't. They do not check out. And you've got you to trick them to get them to go in, right? And then there's another... Um, Another tool of the trade, I don't have one with me this morning, but it's like my favorite thing to deal with bugs. And years ago, when Chris and I lived in Loxahatchee, we had a really good one. It was called the bug zapper. Anybody ever have a bug zapper? Aren't those the coolest things? They have this really cool-looking soft light, and ours kind of glowed blue. And the bugs are attracted to the light. They want to get a closer look, and then they get zapped with electricity. And it was really funny because we first got this, this bug zapper, and we had to turn it off. We had to unplug it. It was making so much noise. It was running all through the night. And you would wake up in the morning, and it was near our patio, and you'd look on the ground, and there were just barbecued bugs everywhere. And it provided this really cool breakfast buffet for the birds. And they would just come and you know, have breakfast right there. Now, here's what I want you to do this morning. You see the bugs up there on the screen? I want you to think like a bug. Okay, we're going to get into the mind of a bug, because you would think that after a while... Um, bugs would wise up. They would see the, the ground littered with the bodies of their fellow bugs, and some really intelligent bug with leadership qualities would say, no, wait a minute, something's not quite right here. I've noticed that when my fellow bugs blindly follow their desires and go to the light, they never return. So I'm going to do the smart thing. I'm going I'm to pause and consider whether it's really worth it to get a, a close look at the light. But bugs don't do that. Because apparently they think this way. I know what I'm doing. I can handle this. It may happen to other bugs, but it won't happen to me. Now, only a bug would be that stupid, right? Not exactly. All kinds of people tend to think that way. Professional athletes, successful businessmen, moms, dads, teenagers, teachers, pastors, all kinds of people blindly follow their desires, their wrong desires, and get zapped. And there's a story in the Bible that reminds us of this reality. It's a story about the first couple. Now, what are their names? Adam and Eve, and God puts them in a perfect place called the Garden of Eden, and God gives them 
these rules. And he says, listen, you can eat from any tree in the garden. That's fine. But do not eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden because if you do, you will surely what? You will surely die. Now we find out in this story that Adam and Eve have an enemy who's trying to trick them. An enemy who wants them to voluntarily engage in behavior that will lead to their demise. And so this enemy tries to convince Eve and Adam that God is not telling them the truth, that God cannot be trusted. And so how does this attempted deception work? We'll look at this next verse from the book of Genesis. The woman, Eve, was convinced, convinced that God wasn't telling the truth. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Zap! Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Zap! Every time we hear about somebody getting zapped, somebody succumbing to temptation, the logical question is why? Why would you do this? Something that has the potential to destroy your marriage, to end your career, to break up your family, to ruin your reputation. Why is it that people violate their values and do things that are self-destructive? Well, because like Adam and Eve, we have an enemy. An enemy who wants to destroy us. And this enemy goes by different names in the Bible. Sometimes he's known as the devil or Satan or even the evil one. And his primary strategy is still the same. To lead us into temptation and to get us to succumb to temptation. And that's why... When Jesus' disciples come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray, Jesus includes this petition in what we call the Lord's Prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, one of the important things to understand as we talk about temptation is that God does not tempt us. God allows us to be tempted, but he's not the one behind the temptation. And we see that in this very important Bible verse from the book of James. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires. Now, we have good desires, and we have wrong desires. James is talking about the wrong desires in our hearts, these desires which entice us and drag us away. Now, just get a a picture in your mind of what that looks like, being dragged away by these wrong desires. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to what? Death. Now, isn't that encouraging? I mean, just the opposite. That is, that's some dark news, but here's the deal. Sin is really serious, and so is temptation, because it puts us on the path toward sin. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want us to look at one of the most important verses in the whole Bible that deals with temptation. But I want to do this. I want to give you context for the verse. Now, if you've got your Bible with you this morning, we're going to be looking at some verses in a book in the New Testament. It's called 1 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at chapter 10. That's on page 929, if you've got one of the brown Bibles. Now, this letter was written by a man named Paul. He's a follower of Jesus in the first century. And he's writing about the temptations that zapped the Israelites when they were wandering around in the wilderness. And he wants to show us some important lessons for our lives. So we're going to begin with verse 6. And this is what Paul writes. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up 
to indulge in pagan revelry. They had this big party with a lot of drinking and bad behavior. That's what Paul's talking about. And then he goes on and he says this. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. Now, let me just stop right there. Does that seem pretty extreme to you? I think it should seem extreme to all of us because what's the deal? All these people are dying. I mean, some of them are getting killed by poisonous snakes and it says that there was a destroying angel. What is going on? Well, Paul is talking about these stories in the Old Testament that actually happened because God's people were completely disregarding what God said. And we shouldn't be surprised because the Bible says the wages of sin is what? death and it started back in the days of Adam and Eve and so church we see that this this topic that we're dealing with today of temptation is really serious and really important because once again there is this path that temptation puts us on and it ends up by stepping over the line and falling into sin and that has some serious consequences now here's how the passage continues the next verse says this these things happen to them people in the Old Testament Notice this, as examples, and were written down as warnings for us. Isn't that amazing that God would do that? He would have these things written down as examples for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, if you think this can't happen to me, I'm not a dumb bug, be careful, be really careful that you don't fall. And here's a key verse that we're going to focus on this morning. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life and my life are no different from what others experience. And this has been true for thousands of years. He, that is God, will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. That's some good news, right? I mean, God's going to make a way out so that we don't have to give in to temptation. And in this verse, the word temptation could also be translated test. Because that's what a a, a temptation really is. It's a test of your character, a test of your values, a test of what you really believe. Every temptation is a test. And of course, the question is this. Are you going to pass the test or will you fail the test? Now, from God's perspective, do you think he wants you to pass the test or fail the test? Yeah, it's a no-brainer, right? He wants us to pass the test. And so what God has done, he's given us these stories in the Bible of other people who were tested so that we can learn from their example. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to walk us through four distinct types of temptation, and then we're going to talk about the way out. So are you with me? Nod your head if you're with me. Here we go. Here's the first temptation. The temptation to worship what? Idols. Now, what do you think of when you hear the word idol? One of the things that I think of is a story. It's in the Old Testament. It's about when Moses goes to the top of Mount Sinai to get God's top ten list, the Ten Commandments. And what's happening while Moses is up there is that people are saying, well, when's he ever coming down? I mean, he's been gone a long time. And the people of Israel, they really don't like this idea of worshiping some invisible God because they look around and all these other nations, they have gods they can see. I mean, they're made out of wood. They're statues. They're idols and so they go to Aaron who's Moses brother and say hey Aaron here's the deal Um, hey we're going to give you all our jewelry and we want you to take it and make this God that we can see and so if you've seen the movie or read the story in the book you know that Aaron makes a golden what 
a golden calf. And I'm not sure, but that may be where the term holy cow comes from. Because really, think about it. Seriously. They're bowing down. They're worshiping this calf that's made out of gold. They have this dumb idol. Now, people today wouldn't be dumb enough to worship idols, would they? Well, of course, of course we are. Now, there was an interesting article. This is in a magazine called Discipleship Journal. And it listed the 10 biggest spiritual challenges that American Christians face. A very intriguing list. Do you know what number one was? Materialism. This desire to have just more and more stuff. And somebody said this one time, that Americans are people who buy things they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't like. I want you to look at what it says in your outline. Whatever you give your primary attention, affection, and abilities to is what you really worship. See, anything you worship other than God is an idol. And there are all kinds of things that compete with God for first place in our heart. Possessions, hobbies, people. Did you know that your spouse can be an idol or your child? You can be an idol because you put yourself first. There are all these idols, and the truth is this. Whatever gets your primary attention, affection, and abilities is what you actually worship. Now, here's the second temptation that God's people faced in the past that we still face today, the temptation to engage in sexual immorality. Now, Paul's words here raise an important question. Why is he bringing up this subject of sexual temptation as he writes to the people who live in the city of Corinth? Now, the book of the Bible is called Corinthians because that's what they call people who live in the city of Corinth. And what we need to understand is that the city of Corinth was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. And it was also one of the most corrupt. It was like a, a first century Las Vegas. And it was known as a place of international pleasure. If you wanted to have a, quote, good time, you went to Corinth. Now, I'm not sure if they had the saying, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, but you get the idea. And for the people who lived in the city, as well as the Christians who lived there, they were surrounded by sexual temptation. Does that sound a bit familiar? I remember years ago, there was this television show. It was called Temptation Island. And it had an interesting premise. It was a reality TV show. And they would take four unmarried couples, and they would travel to this really beautiful island in the uh, Caribbean. And it was like a result, resort. And then they would also bring along these four single people that were really attractive. And so there was a contest that went on during the week. And the objective of the single people was to see if they could tempt these people to be unfaithful to their partner. Of course, the challenge for the couples who went was to kind of test the strength of their relationship and see if they were strong enough, if they loved each other enough to resist the temptation. And, and the goal of the TV network was to make as much money as possible off people who couldn't resist the temptation to watch people being tempted. <laughs> and it was wildly successful. And I thought about that TV show, Temptation Island. And isn't it true that temptation is not on some faraway island, is it? It's right here. It's in front of us every single day. Now here's another temptation, a third temptation that God's people faced in the past that we also face today, the temptation to worry that God won't provide what you need, that God won't provide what you need. And this is the recurring theme of the Israelites wandering around in the wilderness. Now, God's promise, he says, look, 
I'm going to take you to this land, and it's called the promised land because God promised that they would enter the land, and it was described as a land flowing with milk and honey, and it was just fertile, and it was beautiful. But on the journey to the promised land, what do the Israelites do? They doubt that God's really going to provide what they need. They grumble. They say, God, we don't have any food. We don't have any water. They just don't trust God. Friends, that's one of the temptations that we can succumb to as well. You know, it is so easy for me to stand up here on Sunday morning and say, look, look, don't worry. Don't worry. God's going to take care of it. God's going to provide everything you need to accomplish his purpose in your life. But I will tell you this. Sometimes it is a really long journey from our head to our heart. Because when you wake up in the middle of the night and you've lost your job or you've lost your health insurance or you've lost your health, it is easy to begin to worry and to doubt that God is actually going to come through. And we're going to talk about how to deal with that temptation in just a moment. But here's the fourth temptation that God's people faced in the past that we also face today. The temptation to grumble and complain. The temptation to grumble and complain. I had a lady who was leaving the first service. And we were greeting each other and she said, I'm number four. And for a moment I had no idea what she was talking about. She said, no, number four, temptation number four. That's, that's the one that's hard for me. And you know... I know that this isn't true for any of you. Um, it may be true for some people you know, but did you know there are people that are just complainers? And they grumble about all kinds of stuff. Sometimes people complain about their job, or they complain about money, or they complain about traffic. Um, they complain that it's too hot, that it's too cold. Did you know, I've heard this, that there are people who actually go to a restaurant, and if their food doesn't arrive at their table really fast, they start to complain. Hard to believe, isn't it? Now, here's what I want you to do. Look at this list, these four kinds of temptation on your outline. There's the temptation to worship wealth, the temptation um, that we face because of sexual issues, temptation to worry that God won't provide, temptation to grumble and complain. Here's my question. Do you ever struggle with any of these temptations? And please don't say no. Now, here's the, here's the reality. We have different temptations that we are most prone to. You know what tempts you may not tempt me? And what tempts me may not tempt you, but I do know this, we all face common temptations. Look at this verse again, our key verse. It says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. But he, that is God, will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you, <clears throat> what's that next phrase? A way out so that you can endure. So what is the way out? Well, let's, let's talk about that. Here's the first way out when we're tempted to worship wealth. The way out is to pursue the path of generosity. Pursue the path of generosity. Now, here's the verse that I shared with you before I prayed for the offering today because it is so powerful, and it says this. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. Command those who are rich in this present world, which is a lot of people living in America, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, command them to do good, to be good in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. I read a story this week that reminded me of this verse, and it was about this guy. He had this, this swing set in his backyard, and his kids were grown, and he went out there one day, and he looked at the swing set, and he thought, you know, I could sell this and make some money. Now, he didn't need the money, 
But then he looked a little closer at the swing set and he saw that it had some rust. So he thought to himself, you know, if I sand off the rust and put a new coat of paint on this thing, I could really get some serious money for it. And just in that moment, he said he realized that he was, he was becoming materialistic. That stuff was becoming more and more important to him. So here's what he did. He went ahead and sanded the, the swing set. He gave it a new coat of paint. And then he put an ad in the newspaper and he said, free to a good home. Beautiful swing set. And he said that a young family came over with a bunch of kids and took it home. And he said that was the best thing that he could have done for his soul. Because when you give, it breaks the grip of materialism on your heart. Now here's another temptation, temptation number two. What do you, what do, you do when you face sexual temptation? What is the way out? And here is one of the answers. Pursue the path of accountability. Pursue the path of accountability. Now, what is accountability? Here's my working definition. The willingness to allow people you trust to ask you questions about key areas of your life. Let me say that again. It's the willingness to allow people you trust to ask questions about key areas of your life. Now, why is accountability so important? Take a look at this verse. So then, how many of us? Each of us will give an account of himself to whom? To God. So one day, the Bible says, we're all going to give an account of our lives to God. So why not start now to prepare for that day by being accountable to other people that you trust to ask you the hard questions about your life? And church, listen, this is especially important when it comes to sexual temptation because sexual temptation is like the light in the bug zapper. You know what I'm talking about? Because you know what we do? This is, this is just the reality. We see the light, and we want to get closer to the light. And we say to ourselves, how close can I get without getting zapped? How close to the line can I get without actually falling over the line? But here's the deal. The closer you get to the line, the more slippery the slope becomes. And this is true for all of us, and here's what we need. We need people who love us and care enough about us that will say, hey, what are you doing? Get away from that line. You're going to get zapped. Pastor Dudley, get back from that line. You have business standing next to that line. That's what accountability is all about. And listen, this is really important. We know this. There are times we cross a line. We fall into sin. What happens then? Well, you really need people who love you and who care about you. Look at this next verse from the book of Galatians. It says this. Dear brothers and sisters, if another Christian is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person do what? Yeah, get back on the right path. Get right back on the right path. And that brings us to this next temptation, temptation number three. What is the way of escape when we face the temptation to worry that God won't provide what we need? And here's the answer. Pursue the path of truth. Pursue the path of truth. Let me ask you this, was Jesus ever tempted? Yeah, big time. Bible says that he faced every temptation that we've ever faced, but he always passed the test. He never gave in to temptation. And C.S. Lewis says something really remarkable. He says that, that Jesus faced stronger temptations that we will ever deal with. Because think about it, sometimes we're tempted and we don't even put up a fight. We just give in, right? But not Jesus, he felt the full brunt of temptation because he resisted every single time, no matter how intense the temptation might be. And there's this, 
this story, this is when Jesus is getting ready to launch his public ministry. He's getting ready to launch his mission. And he's in the desert for 40 days. And Satan himself, the evil one, comes to tempt Jesus Christ. And how does Jesus handle that temptation? Exactly with the word of God. That was his ammunition. Because listen, the devil, according to Jesus, is a liar and the father of lies. He wants to trick us. He wants to deceive us just like the bugs, right? And so what Jesus is modeling for us is this. When you are tempted, you must remind yourself of what is true. And listen, when you're tempted to doubt that God's going to provide what you need, you need to remind yourself of what is true. And the truth is right here in God's word. And here's a couple of key passages. Here's the first. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about what? Yeah, pray about everything. Talk to God. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for what He's done. And listen, look at the connection here. If you do this, you will experience God's what? God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can even understand. And I know this, just looking out this morning, because I've prayed with many of you, and I have prayed for all of you. And I know this, you've experienced God's peace. Some of you know exactly what that's like. It's a supernatural gift from God. Now here's another scripture that's really important to remind ourselves of. And my God, my God will supply all your needs. How? According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God has promised to provide everything necessary, everything necessary to accomplish his purpose in your life. Question is, do we really believe that? Now here is the path to lead us out of the fourth temptation this temptation to grumble and complain, here's what we need to do. Pursue the path of gratitude. Pursue the path of gratitude. Look at this verse. It says this. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There's a story about the famous poet Rudyard Kipling, and he received this unusual letter from a student who attended Oxford University. Now, Kipling was, in his day, a well-known poet and author, and he was actually paid for every word that he wrote. And so he gets this letter from the student at Oxford, and the student enclosed a shilling in the letter, because that's how much he got paid for every word. And he said, Mr. Kipling, please send me your best word. Best word in the entire English language. And so the student is waiting and waiting, and finally the letter arrives from Rudyard Kipling, and he opens it up, and on a piece of paper is one word. Do you know what it was? Thanks. Thanks. It is a very, very powerful word, and it guards our heart from the temptation to grumble and complain. And listen, church, everybody wrestles with temptation. We all know that. And this morning, you may be wrestling really hard. And as your pastor, I want to tell you this. Remember the bug zapper. Seriously. Remember what will happen if you give in to temptation because it will do damage to your soul. It will damage the people that you love and the people who love you. And maybe this morning you're dealing with just a really hard temptation and you honestly haven't been putting up much of a fight and the struggle's not going very well and you may wonder, is there any hope? Is it ever going to get any better? And I want to remind you of this. We are in a battle. We're in a battle for our souls. And there is a real enemy who seeks to destroy you and seeks to destroy me. But here's the good news. We have an advocate who's promised to help us. And that advocate is Jesus the Christ. 
And the Bible says this, if anybody sins, he has an advocate with the Father. And think about, think about this, the words of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And here's the reality. We've all crossed the line. We know that. We've all fallen into sin, and our sin separates us from a holy God. Our sin has to be punished by a God who is just, a God who can't deny his own character and who he is. And the Bible is clear that what we deserve is to be separated from God forever. But we not only have an enemy who wants that to be our demise, we have an advocate, a defense attorney who left his home in heaven to defend us and to rescue us. And that is the magnificent story of the gospel, that this God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that God the Son comes to earth and becomes one of us. And he faces all the same temptations that we face, but he never crosses the line. He lives a perfect life, and that uniquely qualifies him to go to a cross and to lay down his life for us. And God is willing to do this. God's willing to take our failure, our sin, every time we cross a line and put that sin on Jesus and punish him in our place, and the wrath of God that we deserve for our sin is poured out on Jesus and he dies for us. And then God raises him from the dead and Jesus says, look, I love you so very much. I want you to have the life that God designed for you to live. So come and follow me because I want you to experience this life of forgiveness and freedom. And, and church, listen, if you're a Christian this morning, I hope that this never ceases to amaze you. When you look in the mirror, you are forgiven. You are set free from your past. Your record has been settled because that's what Jesus came to do, to free us from the penalty of sin. But it gets better than that because Jesus not only came to free us from the penalty of sin, he came to free us from the power of sin. And here's what that means. If you're a Christian, and we sang about it this morning, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. That power is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And the Bible is clear that when Christ lives in you by his spirit, you have the desire and the ability to resist temptation. You do not have to give in. God will make a way out. The question is, will you take it? And you can. And as your pastor, I just, I pray for you. I pray for myself that God would guard us from temptation so that we would really trust him and experience his victory. And let me close with, with this story. It's about a, a third grade Sunday school teacher. She had a class of little girls and she's talking about temptation one day and she says, class, how do you deal with temptation? And so this one little girl raises her hand and says, teacher, whenever, whenever the devil knocks on the door of my heart, I send Jesus to answer it. And when the devil sees Jesus, he says, oh, I am so sorry, I must have the wrong house. So church, listen well. The next time temptation knocks at the door of your house, do not answer it yourself. Send Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your spirit does live in us and gives us in ways that we can't fully comprehend both the desire and the ability to overcome temptation and to live a life that honors and pleases you. And God, I know this, that in this room right now, there are those who have struggled with temptation this week, and some have won that struggle and some have lost it. 
And some people this morning, God, may be feeling a sense of failure, a sense of being unworthy. But God, remind us that Jesus came so that we could be forgiven and so that we could be set free. And Lord, for the person who maybe has never in their whole life trusted Christ and made the decision to become a Christian, God, I pray this morning that as you tug on their heart, that they would be willing to just say this in their heart to you. Father, we both know that I've stepped over the line so many times. God, I've sinned. And I need a Savior. And God, my heart is broken, and, and I know that what I've done has broken your heart too, but God, I want things to be different. I want to change. And so today, Father, I, I want you to know I believe this story. I believe that Jesus died, not just for the sins of the world, but for my sins. And I want to accept that payment. I want to trust Jesus. I want to follow him. And God, I know this. You always hear that, that prayer, the cry of that heart. And Lord, our hearts would cry out to you this morning. Lord, protect us with your power. Protect us with your angels. Lord, we know that there are families that are under fire, marriages that are under attack. Pastors, Lord, friends of mine that are struggling in in profound ways. And I pray, God, I pray for your mercy and grace to be poured out. And Lord, today as we bring the service to a close, I pray that this last song would just be a, a testament, Lord, a testimony to your love and your grace and your power in our lives. For we pray in Jesus' name.